So let's get into the word. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, as your word says in Psalm 118, this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we rejoice and are glad in it because today is Resurrection Sunday. Because in you is life and life abundantly. We, 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 we focus on this day as we do every Sunday, but in particular this day because you defeated sin, death, and hell. You rose again to show that in you is life, that you are the resurrection and the life. And because of that, as we, as we saw the sun rise from the east, it's just a physical reminder of the spiritual truth that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. And we see these mercies renew each and every morning. So Lord, just as again, we saw that sun rise in the east. Today we are celebrating the rise of the sun for all of us who have fallen short of the glory of God. And now our hope is in you, Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Usually we go through books of the Bible and we go through many portions of Scripture. Today we're going to kind of hit a theme, the resurrection, and our verse is John eleven twenty five. 25. Usually we have you stand, so I'm going to have you stand real quick. It's going to be like the rapture. You're going to stand and you're going to sit down real quick. So go ahead and stand up. John eleven twenty five. 25, just to give honor to God's Word. It says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Go ahead and sit down. See how quick that was? That was easy. Up and down. Up and down. Just like the rapture is going to happen. Up and down. All right, here we go. Well, again, today is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. Amen. And millions of Christians around the world and even non-believers are gathering together to celebrate the resurrection. And, and, and you guys know I'm a pretty energetic guy. I love the gospel. I love Jesus. I love talking about the resurrection. But in particular, even more today, because about over a year last time, I was speaking to a bunch of empty chairs and just my family and Tyler Dell up in the booth. That was it. You guys are all at home in quarantine. So I am juiced and pumped to have you guys here to see your faces, that we can, we're getting close to getting back together to worship to one another and celebrate this historical event called the resurrection. And so we're glad and excited. I'm glad and excited that everyone who is here, uh, it, just, it just, again, gets me fired up. Let's go. And again, we've had an unprecedented year. We've been experiencing this kind of global pandemic known as COVID-19. Another way of saying it is we've been experiencing a global catastrophe, a global catastrophe. The, and when we stop to think about it, the, the coronavirus is really just a wage of sin. It's a, it's a payment of sin. This is what sin produces. It produces things like the coronavirus, this great global catastrophe. But sin is the ultimate global catastrophe. It is the one thing that we saw in Genesis 3 that separated man and women from God the Father. Sin entered the world, and with sin, so did death. Death went to every individual ever to be born. So the greatest catastrophe, the, the greatest pandemic we face is death itself. And however it comes, whatever form it comes to take us out. I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, which you guys are in my lifetime, so it's about you. In my lifetime, the death rate has been constant. You know what the death rate is? It's a perfect one-to-one -one ratio, right? It's been constant. Uh, here's the, we're, we're all going to make it. Uh, this is, this is this one stat that no statistician or no model can jack up, just like we've seen maybe some other things get jacked up right over the past year. This model is sure. The death ratio is one-to-one. -one. And that's why today is so important. That's why Jesus' life, 
death, and his resurrection is so important because today we celebrate the man Christ Jesus who defeated death. Amen? He defeated sin. He defeated the enemy, Satan. He sits at the right hand of God, is alive and well and ruling and raising. Therefore, we can have hope. Therefore, this global catastrophe known as sin has become the global you catastrophe. You catastrophe. You guys know this is one of my favorite themes that I learned about a couple years ago from J.R.R. Tolkien. He specifically used this word, you catastrophe, E-U catastrophe, to describe the resurrection. You know what it means? It means good catastrophe. EU, the prefix means good catastrophe. Well, that just means catastrophe, right? So yeah, yeah, good catastrophe. On Good Friday, 2,000 years ago, a little over 2,000 years ago, it seemed like a disaster. It seemed like Jesus was a fraud. He was dead in the grave. The disciples were scared in the upper room, not knowing what to do. But on Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, he stepped out of that tomb. He stepped out of that tomb and again showed that he was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that he was the one that indeed holds life and death in his hands. He stepped out of that tomb alive and well in a glorified body. And for you and me this morning, that is wonderful news, is it not? He is risen. Amen. Jonathan Edwards says the resurrection is the most joyous event ever to come to pass. And if you're a Christian in here, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ and believed in the gospel, if you're a Christian in there, you know exactly what Jonathan Edwards is talking about. You know that joy that Jonathan Edwards is talking about that only comes through having the assurance of the resurrection of Christ in your life. You know that peace, that assurance. And if you're not a Christian in here, let's just say we are glad you're here. And it's our prayer, it's our desire that you would walk out those doors today experiencing the resurrected Christ. And again, we're going to see that in John eleven twenty five, and through this theme, the resurrection. So first, we see that the resurrection is first about a person. The resurrection is first about a person. Again, John eleven twenty five. 25. I am the resurrection in the life. When people, when we first maybe start to think about the resurrection, we equate it to an event. And I even opened up as a, hey, the resurrection is this historical event. It really did happen in time and history. So yes, it's an event, and it's good to think of it like that. But first and foremost, it's about a person. Thomas Arnold, one of the great historians, said this in 1869. And his evidence is only corroborated and is only um, strengthened and verified what he said here. He said this about the resurrection. He said, I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and to weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And here it is. And, and I know of no one fact in history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. That was his assessment, and he assessed it correctly. Again, this incredible event. But again, first and foremost, the resurrection is first about a person, as we see in John eleven twenty five, because Jesus says something very profound. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice he didn't say that I am going to bring about the resurrection or I'm going to cause the resurrection. No, he says, I am personally the resurrection and the life. Jesus takes the resurrection from event status and he puts it 
to personal status, relationship status. The resurrection in a life is between you and Jesus, between me and Jesus. Jesus happens to people. And what's even more profound, it's even more than a relational um, uh, aspect here of a person happening to person, Jesus happening to us. It's even greater than that. It's even more unique than that. It's even more mind-blowing than that because this statement, I am, we know in the book of John, Jesus is declaring that he is God. He is claiming deity. This is one of the seven, uh, the seven sayings, I believe, of, of deity, seven or six. And this is what he's saying, I am. Jesus is taking the very name of God onto himself and giving it to himself. We're going through the book of Exodus regularly on Sundays. And we know from Exodus 3, when Moses was taking the children out of Egypt, he met, uh, Moses met God at the burning bush. And God's giving him this plan. And Moses said, well, who, who, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am who I am. And this is what Jesus is doing. So this is even greater than a person to a person. This is the God in human flesh to you and me. I am the resurrection and the life. And again, notice the order. The resurrection comes first, then eternal life, then life. Because the resurrection opens the gate to eternal life. Listen, if Jesus wasn't the resurrection and the life, then we would have no hope. The only thing that we would have to look forward to is death and the grave, to be buried or cremated. But since he is the resurrection and life, we have this assurance that, that this physical death is just a vehicle to eternal life. For the Christian one said this, death is like a car. It gets us to where we need and want to go. We get to need and want to go, and that is to Jesus. So very simply, Jesus is saying that because I am God in the flesh, because I am the God man, I am the one who gives life and not just physical life, but spiritual and eternal life. And if anyone is to live on this earth and more, and more importantly, after death, he says they need me. Look at John 11, look at Luke 20, 21 and verse 21. I'm not going to go through this whole, this whole story, but it's a great story. It's a story about Jesus and Lazarus that we know where this verse, I am, the, uh, the, I am the light, the resurrection and life, is set. The context is Jesus is away with his disciples. There's this family that he loves and he has great relationships with, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus becomes sick. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. They find out where Jesus is. Hey, come, come back. And our brother is sick. The one whom you love, come back and heal him and save him. And when Jesus gets the word, he delays. He delays. He doesn't come immediately. We know by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. And he's been in the grave for four days. We pick it up in verse 21 where Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She questions him, but she hasn't given up on him. Look at verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's great faith through Mary. She's showing us great faith. She still believes in Jesus and his power. And then verse 24 says, or 23, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Don't you love Martha? She's a great theologian. She knows her Bible. She knows her Jesus. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? And I love how one puts it when he talks about Jesus quoting this verse. He says this. Here's what Jesus is saying. Martha, I'm exactly what you need in this circumstance right now. 
And I'm exactly what Lazarus needs in his circumstance right now. You're living, he's dead. Both of you need me because I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, he's dead. So listen, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. That's for Lazarus. For you, Martha, this is for you. And for everyone else in here that's alive, which is everybody in here because we're all alive. This is for you. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What's the theme between those two verses? The theme in those verses is this, that life is for those who believe in Jesus. And death is just a gateway to life for those who die. And here's the great news this morning. That wasn't only true for Lazarus and Martha and Mary. It's true for you and it's true for me. Eternal life. Again, everyone in here is alive and believes shall never die. And living a resurrection life now, if you believe in Jesus. Looking forward to the fulfillment of that in glorification. Again, as I already said, resurrection is the door of a new kind of life. This is not just that you're going to be alive, but this life describes a quality of life. This life of, that's not subject to sickness or aging or deterioration or to death. But an eternal life that's constantly in the presence of the Lord eternal joy and eternal happiness. And before we continue to go on there, I just want us to, to remember and think about Lazarus. Lazarus died. He was in the grave. At this moment, Jesus comes to him. He's experiencing life right now in the presence of God the Father. No sin, no sickness, no pain. He had his last breath, and now he's in the presence of God the Father. Then all of a sudden, in a distance, he hears his name, Lazarus, come out. And the next thing you know, he's going out of heaven back into Bethany in the Middle East. Can you imagine the emotion of what was going on with Lazarus right then? I don't know about you, but if I was Lazarus, I'd be like, oh, come on, Jesus. What the heck, man? Right? Why, why, why do I have to be the guy that you display your glory and your power to? Why can't you just leave me in heaven and do that with someone else? Anyone else think about that? I mean, poor Lazarus, the poor dude. And this is another thought. This is why reincarnation is so depressing. That you just die and come back, die and come back, die and come back. I mean, think about it. You die and you come back a worm. That kind of sucks, doesn't it? A cockroach, right? No one ever thinks about that. They think, oh, I'm going to come back as a lion or a tiger or a hippo or something, right? No, it's depressing. And this is what separates Jesus from all other religious leaders in philosophy. He's the only one that claimed that he is the resurrection and the life. That's why in John 1, 4, he says, Jesus is life. That's why he alone can say this in John 2, 19. Destroy this temple, destroy this body, and in three days, I'll raise it again. No other religious leader claimed that. Or philosopher, Gandhi, cremated. Buddha, cremated. Mohammed, he's buried in Medina, South uh, Saudi Arabia. You can go to his grave and you can dig up his bones. You can go to Jesus' tomb. He ain't, he ain't there and he's not cru crucified. Now, I don't know about you, but here's the bottom line. Here's the deal. Who do you want to follow? What do you want to stock your life on? The, the guy that's buried in the, uh, in the grave in Saudi Arabia, those that have been cremated, or the one who's alive, the one who defeated death? I don't know about you, but I'm wrong with the dude that's, that's alive right now. Amen? He is risen? Yes. So the question to you this morning is, do you believe like Martha? Martha says, I believe. I believe you are the Christ. 
You are the son of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe like Martha? That takes us to our second point. The resurrection is a historical fact and not fiction or a fairy tale. First, it's about a person, but it's also happened in history, in time, in space. And let me just give you a couple evidences of that. One, the greatest evidence that he's alive is the evidence of eyewitness testimony. Whether you're back in Jesus' day or whether you live in our day, the greatest evidence is that of eyewitness testimony. In John 19, Joseph of Arimathea got Jesus off the cross and wrapped him in linen, but he didn't do the custom of knowing. Mark's account says that it happened with some ladies. Some ladies wanted to go and give him the custom anointing of the dead body. But it says in Mark that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mom of James, Salome went to the term tomb and Jesus' body wasn't there. It was empty. In fact, all four Gospels talk about ladies, mentions the ladies as the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection account, to the empty tomb and to Jesus. Now, why is that so important? We know that's important because in Roman and Jewish culture back then, a woman's testimony was seen as invalid. In a court of law, they would not accept a woman's testimony, no matter if you were eyewitness. It was seen as invalid. And even the, the disciples, even the disciples had this mindset because after they, the ladies see the empty tomb and the resurrected Jesus, they run back to the disciples who are hiding and who are scared. The ladies only had that, that, that faith. And then you read these words in Luke 24. These words seem to them, the disciples, that there's an empty tomb. These are the ladies' testimony. It's empty. We saw Jesus. He's, he's alive. That seemed to the disciples an idled tale. They didn't believe him. And they didn't believe the ladies. They didn't believe the, their testimony. Celsius, a Greek philosopher who lived a couple centuries later in, in the second uh, century AD, was highly antagonistic to Christianity. He was a proponent against Christianity. One of his main arguments that Christianity was false, in particular the resurrection was not true, was, I quote, one of the arguments he believed most telling went like this. Christianity can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women. And not only just women, he goes on, and we all know that women are hysterical. Oh, yeah. Hey, ladies, I, I didn't write Celsius mail. I just deliver it, all right? All right? Yeah, that doesn't go over well. In fact, I think we should, we should go to the, the, the now headquarters, you know, National Order of Women or whatever it is. And use this technique. Hey, you know, what, you know what Celsius says about you guys? You guys are hysterical women. And they're like, oh, I'll show you. I'm going to believe. You know, I'm like, hey, that's a great evangelical tool to get them to come to Jesus, right? So if you wanted to start a new movement politically, especially spiritually, religiously, you would not start off with your star witnesses being women. And not just any woman, women. Remember that Mary Magdalene, she was possessed by seven demons. Uh, she, she would be, as we say in our home, in the Santini home, she was a little cray-cray, right? You know what I'm saying? So one, we see the eyewitness testimony of women. Jesus starts there to prove his resurrection. Not only did the ladies see him, but also others as well. Disciples in Matthew 28, after his res resurrection, it says they, they clung to his feet and they worshiped him. Thomas the doubter, he didn't see him the first time, he saw him the second time, where Jesus magically approved uh, uh, comes into the room and just shows up. And Thomas the doubter puts his finger in his side. 
And then Jesus even throws a beach party with a fish fry in John 21. They have a little wine, a little tilapia to show that he truly did raise from the dead. So think about this. This is all eyewitness testimony. Without a shadow of a doubt, they saw that. I want to even dive in a little deeper. About you and me. Think about this. This is what, this is what John recorded in, in Mark and Luke. What, what if you were to write a blog about today? You were going to write about your life experience today, that you woke up on April 4th, 2021. You got dressed, you had some great breakfast, you drove to the Crossing Church, 3601 South Shield Street. You, you walked in, you heard Cole and the band playing songs, you heard Aaron preach a message on John eleven twenty five 25, that I am the resurrection and the life. And then all of a sudden, 2,000 years later, someone from the time of 4,021 on April 4th picked up your blog and read it. Would it be true? Did it really happen? exactly what we're doing today is we're reading about individuals like you and me that chronicled their day and what happened with Jesus. Eyewitness testimony. Paul says this. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, the greatest eyewitness testimony. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sin according with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, And then he appeared to more than 500 people at one time whom are still alive today. Many are whom are still alive today, though some have fallen asleep. So Paul says, hey, 500 people, I saw him. We saw him. Jesus appeared to us. And you can go talk to Daniel Smith today and ask him if he really did see him. You can talk to Lydia Lydia Callum if he really did exist and Psalm, yes, it's true. Eyewitness Tennyson. No greater evidence. Couple real quick more testimonies. One, worship changed. Worship changed. There's so many different routes that I could go because the evidence is overwhelming of Jesus' resurrection. But we're going through the book of Exodus, so I'm going to tie it in to the book of Exodus. Worship changed. First, the day of worship changed for the Christian church. In Judaism, we know they, they worshiped on Saturday, going all the way back to Exodus chapter 20, where Moses is rolling out God's old covenant. And they talk about the Sabbath. The Sabbath day would have been Saturday. That's when you worship the Lord. You worshiped Yahweh on Saturday. But when Jesus came, the day changed. The Sabbath day changed. The, the commandment of Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You work six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest, and that is Saturday. But when Jesus came, that day changed to what? Sunday. The first day of the week. So that's the first thing we see declaring the resurrection is that the day changed. But even more important than the day is the object of their worship changed. It became more particular. It didn't, maybe say it didn't change, but it came more focused because their object of the worship now at the forefront was that of Jesus Christ. He became the central figure in which the people worshiped. And for any devout Jew, any devout Israelite, going all the way back to again, Exodus chapter 20, when we talked about the Ten Commandments, what is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before my face. Right? And then we just went a couple weeks ago, we went through Exodus 32. And when Israel forsook the Lord, and they bowed down to the golden calf. You guys remember that? And what happened? 
those that didn't repent, God killed 3,000 people immediately because of their idolatry. And here we see when we come to the new covenant under Christ, not only they started to bow down and worship Jesus. And does God, what does God do? What does God the Father do? He doesn't, he doesn't slay those who worship Jesus. He rewards those who worship Jesus. He rewards you with eternal life, with joy, with peace. The Apostle Paul, who was a radical transformation, he was, he was out to destroy Christianity. He was going around giving thumbs up to persecution and killing of Christians because he thought they were leading his people astray from the first commandment to have no other gods before their face by worshiping a false god that's named Jesus. But then he comes in contact with Jesus, the resurrection and the life, the relational contact he has with Jesus and his life is changed and he becomes the loudest voice in Christian history that Jesus is the living God and to worship him is actually to fulfill the first commandment. The testimony of the disciples changed from scared outlaws to public proclaimers. All of them except for John died a martyr's death. Now, would you die for something that you knew was a lie? Would you die? Would you get clubbed to death? Would you be willing to be burned to death? Would you be like Peter, crucified upside down? History tells us for something that you knew that Jesus wasn't alive and raised, but he was sitting at your home in your garage, dead. Would you die? Of course you wouldn't. You die because it's true. They saw and experienced the resurrection Christ. Therefore, they went from, again, scared outlaws to public proclaimers to martyrs. Incredible testimony, incredible evidence. And I can go on and on and on. But let's just end with this. Finally, the resurrection reversed the curse for you and me. It reversed the curse of the greatest catastrophe, the greatest pandemic of sin to life. And I don't know about you, but I, I just want you to give you the freedom in here this morning. F feel free, as I go through, I got, I got 11 things that I wrote down just as I was thinking about how the resurrection has reversed the curse. Feel free to clap. Feel free to say amen. When I was writing this out, I started singing, so I might break out in special music while I'm going through this stuff right now, you know, so don't. No, I won't, because that's just my, that's my secret prayer language with the Lord right there. I want to do that with you guys. But feel free, if something, if one of these truths hits you, hits you in your soul, feel free to express yourself to Him. Here we go. Number one, we were condemned to eternal life and now we are quitted, forgiven to resurrected life. We were guilty and now we are justified. We were under the wrath and judgment of God and now we're under the grace, peace, and pleasure of God. We were enemies and rebels, and now we are reconciled as beloved children. We walked in shame because of our sin, and now we are esteemed and approved to be raised in glory. There we go. Jeez, let's go. Um, we live in a world of suffering, and now we anticipate to live in a world of perfection and glorification. We own possessions that will decay and fade away, and now we are heirs of all things eternal. We have defective earthly bodies, and now we look forward to our flawless, perfect, heavenly bodies. There we go. No more New Year's resolutions, right? And by the way, you guys are still looking good. Okay. Uh, we were lost and now we are found. We were slaves and now we're free. We are under the sentence of death and now our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
never to be erased. Amen. This is the reality of those who are in Jesus, who have repented of our sins and trusted in him, his life, his death and his resurrection. This is what it secured. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so if you're in here and you're and you're not a Christian, man, today, today, I hope you today would be the day that you would experience that you would you would look and, and assess your life honestly and see all the things that you're chasing, all the things you're trying to do are not fulfilling and satisfying. And if you want resurrected life, if you want eternal life, if you want the hope and the peace and the joy of God to flood your soul, today is the day that you choose life and you choose Jesus. And you do that just by repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ, just crying out to him saying, Father, I know, I see I'm a sinner. And I believe that Christ's life, death, and resurrection is for me. And, and, and by my faith, I put my life and trust in you. And as you do that, that the Lord will change your heart. And, and if that's you this morning, please come talk to me or one of the pastors or even who, who brought you here so we can help you on this journey because now you're, you're a part of a family that will encourage you, that will battle with you throughout the rest of life. And if you've done that, like many of us have here, our response is worship. Our response is there's a, there's a hope, there's a peace, there's a, there's a joy that should be just flooding through your soul. You should be getting chick, uh, chicken, chicken pox, yeah. Not chicken pox, that would be good. You should be getting, you know, goosebumps. Because you know the joy of resurrection life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, this is the day that you have made. Lord, we will rejoice and are glad in it. Lord, and I pray as Cole and the, and the, and the crew gets up here to, to lead us in a couple songs, Lord, Lord, that we would just sing. We would sing with passion. We would sing with the hope that we have. We would sing with the assurance that we have, that we know that, as Paul says, that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those that are in Christ Jesus, there is resurrection life fullness of joy, and abundant life forevermore. It begins now, and we look forward to obtaining that fully when you come back or when we die. Lord, you are the resurrection and the life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.